Hello and welcome to Stick Together, Australia's only national radio show all about workers' rights and social justice issues. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Radio in Melbourne and broadcast to you around the country on Community Radio Network. I'm Dennis Rogachev. This week, the Australian Council of Trade Unions is holding its annual congress in Melbourne from May 26th to May 28th, with over 1,000 delegates attending on behalf of all industry sectors in the country. While 3CR will be reporting on the most important outcomes and resolutions of the Congress, it is important to mention one of the most significant developments that has come out of the Congress so far. As Andrew Casey reports in Working Life, the ACTU leaders, Dave Oliver and Jed Carney, highlighted the importance of the upcoming federal election. Oliver mentioned there is a need to transform the ACTU into a permanent campaigning organization so that unions can campaign on the issues that matter to working people. Universal health care and high-quality education, or making sure that companies pay their fair share of tax. As part of that, the trade union movement will engage in grassroots campaigning and a number of marginal electorates around the country, including Karangamite in Victoria and Page in New South Wales. Stay tuned to 3CR for more updates regarding resolutions and announcements. On our program today, we will be exploring the stories of workers' struggles in some of the most precarious and difficult conditions for organizing a coordinated fight back. It is not uncommon for the ruling class and capitalist bosses to divide us in our workplaces and pit men against women, local workers against foreign ones, permanent and secure employees against casuals and insecure ones. But what if all these strategies are used simultaneously? What if there is no major union presence to protect and unite the workers? To answer these questions, we will be joined by Robin Murphy, a key organizer in the struggles for female workers in Molongong's steel mill industry, and Godfrey Moores, the Assistant Secretary of the General Branch of the National Union of Workers and a long-time campaigner for the rights of insecure and precarious workers. The campaign for women's rights among the unemployed and immigrant female workers of Wollongong steel mill industry has been popularized in the recently published Women of Steel book, available through Resistance Books and Socialist Alliance. It is a story of a group of 34 women that overcame gender segregation, racism and corporate greed and oppression to to win legitimacy, secure jobs and demonstrate the virtue of solidarity and community support. We are now joined by Robin Murphy, the organizer for Jobs for Women campaign and the chairperson for the producers group of the upcoming film based uh, on the book Women Are Still. Robin, thank you very much for joining us. Hi, Dennis. Uh, now, uh, could you give us a bit more, a bit of a premise behind the story of uh, Jobs for Women campaign in Wollongong and the, and the book uh, w- Women of Steel? The Jobs for Women campaign uh, was a spectacular fight between unemployed, mainly migrant women, and what was the uh, largest Australian business corporation of the time, BHP, and its subsidiary, Australian Iron and Steel. And the campaign was really about how the women fought for the right to work and how the company responded and the fight, the, basically the whole campaign took 14 and a half years. And so 
we feel that it warrants a film because it's an untold story and it has a lot of relevance today for young women, old women, migrant women, well, anyone that's experienced injustice and how, if you stick together, you can win. Uh, so could you tell us a bit uh, more of a background of the steel mill industry in Wollongong, particularly what role pl- uh, w- women played within that industry up until and during the campaign? Well, um, Wollongong really at the time, and we're talking 1980, was a man's town and it was based on sex segregation of industry. Um, Most families that lived in the Illawarra, um, their members of the family either worked in mining or metal, uh, which were owned by BHP. And of course those jobs were predominantly male. Uh, The division by industry was reinforced by sex segregation of jobs so that most women's jobs were clerical, cleaning, canteen sort of work within the steelworks and in the wider Illawarra the sort of work that women would would have to take to get a job uh, would have been in sweatshops of ununionized clothing factories in someone's backyard or you know, King G Clothing Factory, which is closed down, Bonds, which is closed down, Burley, which is closed down. And the plight of women um, in the Illawarra was dreadful. Two-thirds of the young unemployed were female, and most of the popula- most of the female population that was looking for work would get on a bus at about 4 o'clock in the morning and go up to Sydney looking for work. So it wasn't too good. And in a lot, but in a lot of ways, uh, the campaign this that was built, the Jobs for Women campaign, this was a a simultaneous fight for for women's rights and against uh, corporate greed and uh, corporate domination. So, how uh, did you manage to com- to combine these two campaigns with, uh, within one movement in Wollongong? The situation was that when we applied for work at Australian Iron and Steel, which was what it was called um, in the eighties. Uh, subsidiary of BHP. When we applied for work, um, we would see men getting work and we were told on the same day, the same hour that the men were being employed, there were no jobs for women. And we already knew the plight of women was pretty bad in the area, but the fact that the company actually said that they were refusing to employ women and, and later, during the court case quite a few years later on, we found out they had a separate file for women. So in, in reality, uh, here was a company uh, that felt that they were above the law and we're talking about the New South Wales anti-discrimination laws. So we lodged complaints with the anti-discrimination board at the time and basically that was the beginning of a legal campaign um, and it, it, it's such a big story that it really does warrant a film. It's hard to talk about talk about it right at the moment and compress it into a few minutes. <laughs> no, of course. Some of the... Some of the uh, look, we had so many hurdles in this campaign. Mm-hmm. We had to eventually go to court about three years later when the company retrenched most of the women and other and men as well because we'd, um, we'd only just gained our rightful place in the workforce, lost any form of seniority, and uh, here we were on the, on the unemployment heap again. Mm-hmm. So we took the company to court. But when we tried to get legal aid, we couldn't get legal aid. It took us 18 months to get legal aid. When we went court, the company basically used an old archaic law called the Shops and Factories Act and 
they basically hid behind the curtain of that legislation saying, oh, you know, we couldn't have employed you because, you know, it's against the law for women to lift more than 16 kilos. So part of the campaign also questioned what turned out to be discriminatory legislation mm -hmm. uh, around manual handling. So one of the, that was a hurdle and the outcome of that hurdle was that we actually were, we were able to change legislation to make lifting for both women and men much safer. But the, you know, like in, in typical large business corporation fashion, the company appealed every time a decision was made in our favour. And that, that really strung out the, the whole fight. Basically, it took us 14 and a half years to win. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just uh, just uh, going back there so the, and the com the campaign started uh, was it 1984 or 80 1980 so it wasn't until 1994 then that That's you, right, yeah. you the, the final decision was given yeah and uh, what was the final outcome well, the final outcome was that no company in Australia can discriminate on the basis of, of sex discrimination. So no company, and I, I mean, this is why it went on for so long, because I'm sure all of the large business corporations had a vested interest in not in, in, in ensuring that we didn't win this case, because it really did open up employment for women in a whole lot of areas, male-dominated areas. In 1980, there were no women bus drivers that I knew of. There were no train drivers, women train drivers. There were no women in construction. There were no no women in mining. So if you look at the workforce today, you will see that there has been some changes. And I think that's partly the relevance, the legal, leg uh, the legal outcome. But also I think there's other outcomes and lessons for women today. And that is that when there is, and not just for women, but for, you know, any... For all workers, yeah, in the workplace. Um, is that when it's so important to stick together... It's important to reach out and create networks of people who, who may support you, who may empathise with you, who may want to help. Um, we won in Wollongong because the whole community was behind us. We won because the union movement supported us. We won because the migrant community supported us. We won because the women's movement supported us. We won because progressive people, it was... You know, today you'd say, oh, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, women have the same rights as men. But at the time, you know, we had to organize for all of that support. So in, in a lot of ways, the Jobs for Women campaign really sort of revolutionized the way we conduct uh, sort of union and community campaigns and how we combine them together. I think so. I think it's a wonderful example of solidarity, a wonderful example. And it's, I think, you know, like most of the women who involved in that campaign have come out with tremendous confidence. Mm -hmm. you know, it was such a big campaign and we all feel very positive of around women's rights. I'm not saying that women are in a wonderful position today though. Uh, I think the, the, equal, the gap in wages between men and women remains the same today as it was in 1980. In fact, I, th I think it might it's, be... It's widened, yeah. Yeah, and we still have sex segregation in, the, in some workforces. We still, we still, we have, we're hearing a lot lately around domestic violence, women's death, mm -hmm. sexual harassment. These are all things that are indicators that women do not have an equal place in the workforce and that we have to continue this fight. And I think that, yeah, look, you know, you, 
no one has a, a magic wand on what what makes a good campaign or not, but the there were special parts to our campaign. And I, I think also the involvement of migrant women was just something that enriched all of the women in the campaign. And at the time, in the Illawarra, there were definitely more than 50% um, of the population was from people who'd migrated here under the promise by people like BHP's recruitment officers that uh, this was a great land and it was a land of plenty and there was work for everyone. So there's definitely a very strong element of um, internationalism and breaching the uh, you know any 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 sort of uh, racist images that could have perpetuated that time as well. Yeah. And and, and I think that this is also very relevant uh, with the uh, with another campaign today, the campaign for the right of immigrant workers in the farm industry. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's a well. There's a lot of I mean just the plight of refugees at the moment mm. overall. Um, so it's. Um, why we just getting back to the film project mm -hmm. um, why we, we so a book has come out which was written by two of my friends and um, Pat Brewer and Carla Gorton and mm -hmm. um, why we think also a film needs to be made is that this is really an untold story it is a story of fairly huge <laughs> magnitude mm -hmm. in terms of the lessons that that can be taken on board by people yes. uh, in in that climate, as you said, of casualisation of employment, part-time work, you know, lack of workforce stop, and what women are facing today. Absolutely. So, so Robin, could, uh, would you like to give us some details uh, regarding the, um, the, the regarding the upcoming film based on uh, b uh, based on the Jobs for Women campaign? Well, right now um, we are. We're putting our faith in the community to again build and support this film. I don't think it's something that Hollywood um, is going to finance. And in fact, we don't. We want to be able to tell the story honestly, which is why we believe it's a community-based film. Yes. It will be a feature film, though. Mm -hmm. um, and we are in the middle of crowdfunding um, for anyone that's listening. Uh, if you went to the Jobs for Women film website, which is exactly jobsforwomenfilm.com, um, you'll see there's a section there on crowdfunding and we're trying to raise money for the film. We're in a position where we're targeting $25,000 at the moment until June the 21st so that we can develop the script to such a point that we're nearly ready to hit the record button on the camera. We're, we believe that that the community, communities generally throughout throughout the country should be supporting this film because the other thing is how many struggles are actually made into a feature film in this country. So, so this is a story that this is a film that needs to be made and it needs to be supported by by everybody. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I'm I'll be down in Melbourne on Friday. I'll be in Geelong on June the 11th talking about the book and the film. Um, and I'll be at the ETU offices in North Melbourne on Saturday the 12th in the afternoon. Um, I'm talking to women in different unions um, in various places, if I can't remember. But, but um, so my aim at the moment is get some financial support for the film. Okay, great. Well, uh, we, we wish you all the best uh, of luck uh, for that. And we're very much looking forward to... 
uh, both the, fil- uh, the, the film when it finally uh, features? So I don't think we'll be shooting till the beginning of next year. No, or but still when before. people do visit the website, we all we're looking for lots of people to get involved in the filmmaking aspects. Whether you think you're the new Kate Blanchett or a great <laughs> or a great camera person, or you're good at props and. Um, you know, so we'll be um, we we're growing and developing the film as as we speak. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Stick Together today, Robin. And once again, wish you all the best um, for uh, crowdfunding and finally and releasing the film. So- Great, thanks. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories and union news. Broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. We have just heard from Robin Murphy and the story of Jobs for Women campaign in Wollongong during the 1980s and 90s. We now turn our attention to the struggle of insecure immigrant workers in Australia's agricultural and food industry. The recent Slaving Away report on ABC's Four Corners exposed some of the worst cases of exploitation of foreign workers on the Australian farms and the poultry industry. Severe underpay, overwork, 23-hour workdays, sexual harassment and assault being just a handful of issues faced by the immigrant workers across the different states. One of the workers who was employed at the Covina farms outside Longford, described the grueling experience of being a labor hire worker on a working holiday visa, being underpaid by up to $7 an hour and receiving constant sexual harassment from her labor contractor. The produce bought from farms and food processing centers mentioned in the report is bought and sold but by big chain supermarkets such as Coles, Wilbur's and Aldi. As always, the National Union of Workers has been at the forefront of the battle against the exploitation of immigrant workers and the increasing influence of labor hire industry on the sector. Joining us now is Godfrey Moores, the Assistant Secretary of the General Branch of the National Union of Workers. Godfrey, thank you for returning back to Stick Together. Ah, thanks for having me, Dennis. And might I say, I've recently subscribed to the Stick Together podcast on the recommendation of a good friend of mine. What a great comrade you are. I hope you um, enjoy hearing more of our podcasts in the future now. Thank you, I will. Um, Now, to a slightly more serious topic. How did the National Union of Workers first learn that exploitation was taking place um, uh, among the immigrant workers? Well... We started hearing more and more about extreme levels of exploitation, forced labour and um, stories of abuse and sexual abuse in the supermarket supply chain, particularly in the agricultural sector, as our increasing membership at Bayada um, and other parts of the white meat industry um, went to other jobs in the food sector. Uh, or they had family and friends and pre-existing relationships um, for people in the food sector. And because of the strong action that we've taken in uh, particularly at Bayada, 
and the work that we'd done there, we started to hear more and more stories about what was going on uh, over on the fresh fruit and vegetable side and the supply chain for that into the major supermarket warehouses. So that's how we came to it, through following our people and our members. And what has actually happened uh, since since the Four Corners report aired? Well, we've set up... Um, a campaign website at fairfoodaustralia.org and a petition where we're calling on the major supermarkets to meet with the union uh, and set up fair food agreements where we can get make sure that workers in their supply chains have the right, the basic fundamental human right to stand together, support each other and speak up and if necessary take action to solve these issues and prevent ideally these issues from coming up into the future. Uh, on the back of that, we've had started an initial dialogue with Coles. I'm not sure where that's going to go. I, I hope it can lead somewhere better. And Woolworths are really yet to meet with us and, and, and don't want to engage seemingly with uh, the union and, and the broader community sector on tackling these issues as of yet. So we've got a little way to go. We want to hopefully shift the whole industry on this, the major supermarkets and other important retailers. And in your experience in the National Union of Workers, what do you think would be the best um, long-term strategy in uh, tackling uh, this problem? Well, I think it's no surprise that I have a bias here, Dennis, and, and many listeners would share it. And that's that what I think is that workers sticking together, being union workers, is what solves and prevents these issues. Um, uh, and the only way that you can have accountability in a supply chain where you know that the labour is ethical, where you know that um, people have received fundamental respect on the job uh, and been paid properly is for the workers themselves to be able to have the power to speak up and, and prevent these issues because any outside party trying to police a supply chain, whether it's fair work ombudsman, uh, or someone from the major supermarkets or some outside auditor, no matter how skilled or well-resourced they are, unless the workers are speaking up and saying what's going on, then nothing's going to change there. So that really is the long-term solution here, workers being able to be union, stand up and speak out. Mm, of course. It's always the uh, best long-term solution but I feel like in our case, it has become pretty clear that uh, the greatest obstacle to ensuring that is the fact is the rapid growth of the labor hire firms and the insecure and, and the number of insecure and contract workers in the country. So what can what can be done to curb their power? Well, um, firstly, might I say that that uh, workers have responded to us since that Four Corners report, and that, and many of them have been incredibly courageous. Uh, and have joined the union subsequently to that report. Um, but there's two legs, there's two arms to this solution. Um, the first arm, workers speaking up. The second leg is they need someone to take responsibility. And that's why we need to change the labour hire laws of this country so that contractors can take responsibility, um, have to take responsibility for this. So what we've got going on, Dennis, at the moment going to come up in Victoria and South Australia is some initial inquiries into the labour hire industry and that's up to us as unionists to um, organise around that and make sure that we're putting the pressure on the labour hire contractors and the corporations that profit out of them. Uh, so we'll see where we can go with that but we 
are an outlier in Australia. We're one of the only nations in the world where labour hire industry is completely unregulated and it just leaves it open like Wild West for unscrupulous and shadowy figures who might just have a laptop, a mobile phone and a really poor history of treating workers to come and go and mistreat and exploit workers. But if we put the pressure on the major corporations, we don't let corporations like Woolworths, like McDonald's, like Aldi get away with profiting out of that, then we can get change. Mm -hmm. And um, on the back of that, do you see this becoming a much larger campaign? So involving not just the unions, but also... Uh, organizations and local community campaigns for fair produce across across the sector we're only we're only going to win for the workers here if supply chain workers and community members and and concerned unionists in other industries stand together in alliance and we've started an initial dialogue with some key human rights and social justice groups in the sector um, but we know that the big supermarkets are also going to respond if they feel the pressure of their customer base of working people saying this is not good enough in this country. Um, so I think this campaign is only going to get bigger, is only going to get more visible um, because this thread that we're seeing with uh, supply chain and food workers, this thread of extreme exploitation, once we pick at that, it's going to show us all it's going to lead to all sorts of other connected issues that we're experiencing in the Australian economy where we're facing an insecure future of zero hours work fluctuating here or there and that is what we need to tackle together and we can only do it in alliance standing together in solidarity so if people want to help out and support with the campaign by all means sign that petition at fairfoodaustralia.org if you feel really passionate about making sure every worker counts, about holding large corporations in this country to account um, and you want to be part of that campaign, uh, contact us at communitymember.com.au and join up as a community member of the National Union of Workers because that is how we're going to tackle it. Workers taking action and speaking up on the one side and people standing in solidarity with them on the other side. And Godfrey, there's also an upcoming community member meeting as well, isn't there? Yes. That's correct. Thursday next week at the National Union of Workers office. I believe it's at 6.30pm. Excellent. I'm sure a lot of uh, listeners would be interested to, of, of going there. Well, uh, that will be all uh, for now. So thank you very much, Godfrey, for joining us. We would like to remind us. our listeners okay, of 3CR's upcoming Thank annual fundraising campaign, Radiothon campaign, much. which will run from June the 1st to June 14th. Help us keep independent community radio on air by going online to our website www.3cr.org.au and clicking donate. Well, that'll be all for Stick Together this week. I'm Dennis Rogatuk and I'd like to once again thank Robin and Godfrey for appearing on the show today. Thanks to the Community Broadcasting Federation for its financial support of the program. Thank you for listening to today's episode and we hope you tune in the same time next week. 